Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, September 3rd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Today, President Biden visiting New Orleans, surveying the devastation caused by Hurricane Ida. This has stunned areas in the Northeast are still facing a rising death toll, surging rivers and tornado damage after Ida's remnants lashed the region, killing at least 50 people in their homes and cars. Plus, America's employers added just 235,000 jobs in August, a modest gain after two months of robust hiring, an indication of the Delta variant's grip on the economic recovery. And growing fallout after a divided Supreme Court allowed the nation's toughest restrictions on abortions to take effect in Texas. Several Republican states are now taking steps to pass similar laws as President Biden says he's launching an effort in response. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The Northeast is reeling from flooding brought by the remnants of Ida, the same storm that earlier in the week devastated the Gulf Coast. Over 40 people have now died across six states. That number continues rising. In New York City, rescues are ongoing. Also, at least seven confirmed tornadoes now in Malika Hill, New Jersey. The ominous funnel clouds destroyed more than two dozen homes. Federal, state and local officials working together to help those in need. New stories of heroism and tragedy in the wake of that devastating flood disaster across the Northeast. In Connecticut, a state trooper is among the people who did not survive. He's one of the senior sergeants on the state police, well respected, and um, it's just a tragedy. Sergeant Brian Mole was checking on conditions in Woodbury, where three rivers come together when floodwaters swept his patrol car away. In New York City, at least 13 people died when water filled homes and overwhelmed streets and the local transit system. The NYPD saying 835 subway passengers had to be rescued and nearly 500 vehicles across the city abandoned. In Central Park, this father, Tosco Brown, scooping up water from his flooded car using his baby's bottle. Wednesday night, he swam through the flood waters carrying his eight-month-old boy to safety. I just used the God-given strength that I had and had to pull them out. Never experienced nothing like it. It was frightening. Yeah, worst thing I've ever seen. But many others were not so lucky. The remnants of Hurricane Ida merging with a front to produce a first-time-ever flash flood emergency for all five boroughs of the city. In New Jersey, the death toll rising to at least 23 and more than 25 homes in Mullica Hill destroyed after a tornado struck with winds more than 135 miles per hour. He said, our, our house is gone. I said, what do you mean? He said, the tornado. So far, seven confirmed tornadoes in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. An extraordinary, sadly tragic, historic 24 hours in New Jersey. There's no other way to put it. I made clear to the governors that my team at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, is on the ground and ready to provide all the assistance that's needed. And in Philadelphia, hundreds of calls for water rescues after the Schuylkill River spilled into communities, the water rising two feet above major flood stage, flooding an expressway. Officials say a pump designed to clear the road failed. Here's what the expressway normally looks like. 
Some experts say the frequency of these natural disasters are linked to human-caused climate change. But in reality, what was once the 100-year flood, the flood that had about a 1% chance of happening in any given year, isn't the 100-year flood anymore. The National Guard and first responders now out in full force, rescuing residents and their pets. As of this morning, 4.5 million people in the Northeast remain under flood warnings, mostly in northeastern New Jersey, as rainwater flows into larger creeks, streams and rivers. Some rivers in the Northeast are forecast to remain above flood stage well into the weekend. Meanwhile, President Biden is visiting Louisiana today. His tour begins in New Orleans, where he will assess a damage from Hurricane Ida and then move to St. John the Baptist Parish for a briefing from state leaders. This as Louisiana residents continue to deal with all the destruction. As of Thursday, more than 800,000 people are still without power, many relying on gas-powered generators. But with fuel supplies dwindling in the state, the lack of gas is hampering relief efforts. Azul Alvarez reports. Grand Isle, Louisiana, almost unrecognizable. You cannot go to Grand Isle right now by land or by boat. Its roads impossible. The island is uninhabitable. There's three feet of sand across the entire island. Ten to twelve breaks. A hundred percent of the structures had been damaged. We estimate forty percent of the structures were destroyed. Black mines perish underwater as far as the eye can see. From officials there serving damage, struggling to clear roadways and keep water systems going, the message is clear. We encourage any resident that evacuated to remain that and stay there at this present time because we do not have the resources to help you. Power crews from all over the country grinding through neighborhoods street by street. Power company supervisors told us off-camera that it is an enormous task. One foreman in the New Orleans East area, where some power has been restored, told camera crews to move back as his team replaced the pole because it was too dangerous. And when they find a down pole or line on a given corner, it's not just a matter of propping it back or replacing it. Residents of New Orleans East tell us it's been tough without power. In St. Charles Parish, cars lined up for miles in search of food and water. We just don't want to get low. The search for gas still a struggle. We just have not received uh, adequate fueling uh, services to the general uh, public. Azul Alvarez, U News. And also, the Biden administration is tapping the nation's strategic petroleum reserve and will release 1.5 million barrels of crude to help meet demand. Two-thirds of the service stations in New Orleans and Baton Rouge are out of gasoline in the hurricane's aftermath. The Department of Energy says adding to the crisis is the fact that the Mississippi River has been closed due to several sunken vessels. To get tanker trucks rolling, the Biden administration is relaxing standards and enabling truck drivers to legally work longer hours. Joining me now to discuss the link between the deadly storm and climate change is Dr. Kim Cobb. She's a professor of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at Georgia Institute of Technology. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Cobb. Welcome to UNews. Thanks for having me. So what was on your mind as you saw all the destruction and flooding caused by Ida in New York and New Jersey? 
I mean, this this is an unimaginable event. Uh, we are headed into uncharted territory with climate change. And this is now grounded in even better science than ever with the release of the United Nations report on climate last month, providing new and stronger links between ongoing warming and extreme rainfall like these class of events. Uh, of course, it's not just that, it's also drought and fire prone weather out west uh, that we're grappling with simultaneously here in the United States. You mentioned those wildfires out west and now also the extreme rain in the south. So what would you say is the link between these events and climate change? Well, it all goes back to heat, extra heat to be exact. We've known for decades that it, fossil fuel emissions are driving warming across the planet. And that does, has done two things. Uh, heating the soil and the land uh, makes it more vulnerable to fires and increases the fuel that's available to fires. Uh, and here, uh, when we think about extreme rainfall, heating of the atmosphere uh, can hold more water vapor, 7% more for one degree Celsius, which is the level of warming we've seen thus far. And that is, again, uh, outlined uh, newly in the report from the United Nations last month. Climate change and extreme weather events have caused a surge in these natural disasters over the past 50 years. According to this new United Nations report that you just mentioned now, what are some of the report's main points? What else can you add to this? Well, one of the report's key points is a piece of good news which is that we still have time to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius this century. And that would occur mid-century with tangible benefits if we get to work right now. We have one or two decades requiring deep and sustained cuts in fossil fuel emissions to achieve that most ambitious level of warming outlined in the Paris Climate Accord. And then with that come, again, these tangible benefits of reduced climate risks. And now the costs, the true costs of inaction are becoming all too clear. Now, there's also a lot of discussion about building infrastructure that can withstand climate change, but that would cost billions of dollars. We saw the levees in New Orleans held back water for the most part, but the power infrastructure did fail. Is that the right approach? Many people wonder what can be done now. We need help now. Well, unfortunately, we have squandered a couple decades of time to prepare for our climate of now. Now we're caught in uh, catch-up mode and trying to prepare for a climate of the next coming decades, which will unfortunately include worsening climate extremes. So we have to make deep investments to help communities become more climate ready. But we also have to recognize that we need deep investments to help transition our fossil fuel infrastructure away uh, from these greenhouse gas emissions that are driving this problem in the first place. So again, we need to harness the available science on both sides, uh, building more resilient communities, but also uh, helping us move away from increasing climate risk going forward. Now, the storm caught officials in the north and millions of people off guard. Could this be now a turning point in public opinion and climate change? Well, I certainly hope so. I don't know how many uh, lessons like this we can take, quite frankly, uh, what was formerly unimaginable, now unfortunately imaginable and reeling in our heads on a day-to-day -day basis. And the phrase record-breaking temperatures, record-breaking rainfall, record-breaking wind speeds uh, have now become a, a daily part of our lives uh, year on year on year now. So let's hope that an event like this uh, becomes a catalyst that we need to keep communities safe uh, over the next coming years. We are talking about this just all too often now. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Kim Cobb from Georgia Institute of Technology. Take care. Thanks for having me.
And now we turn to some discouraging economic news. Today, America's employers added just 235,000 jobs in August, a surprisingly weak gain after two months of robust hiring. The unemployment rate dropped to 5.2 percent from 5.4 percent in July. The August job gains the government just reported fell far short of the roughly 940,000 that employers had added in each of the previous two months when widespread vaccinations allowed the economy to fully reopen from pandemic restrictions. Still, President Biden sounded optimistic about the economic recovery, and this is what he had to say this morning. Today's report shows that the steps we've taken, passing the rescue plan and vaccinating 175 million people, make our economy capable of growing and adding jobs even in the face of this continuing Delta surge. A strength in our economy very different from the way things were last winter. There's no question the Delta variant is why today's job report isn't stronger. The president also called on Congress to act on infrastructure and repeated that investment is needed to confront climate change as his administration is dealing with the aftermath of Ida. The CDC is warning unvaccinated people against travel this holiday weekend, fearing a surge in new cases as a new variant of interest is now being monitored. Here's Grecia Lastra with more. With millions of Americans preparing to travel for the long Labor Day weekend, a new warning from the CDC. First and foremost, if you are unvaccinated, um, we would recommend not traveling. Right now, more than 47 percent of the entire U.S. population, about 156 million people, are not fully vaccinated. And according to a recent CDC report, unvaccinated people are five times more likely to get COVID and 29 times more likely to be hospitalized. This comes as the World Health Organization says that they're now monitoring a new COVID variant called Mu. Dr. Fauci urging Americans not to be overly alarmed. Bottom line, we're paying attention to it. We take everything like that seriously, but we don't consider it an immediate threat right now. The concern only growing as millions of students head back to school after the holiday weekend, many of them ineligible to get vaccinated and pediatric COVID admissions surging. On average, 350 children seeking hospital care for COVID each day. In Texas, where Governor Greg Abbott has tried to ban mask mandates, more than 20,000 public school students and nearly 7,500 teachers and staff have already tested positive for COVID since the start of the school year. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News. More than 80% of Americans reportedly have some level of immunity against COVID-19. The CDC worked with blood organizations across the country to test nearly 1.5 million samples. Researchers say 8 out of 10 people in the country have at least some coronavirus immunity, mostly through vaccinations. However, scientists say they also found that about twice as many people have been infected with the virus. Researchers are trying to find how close the U.S. is to herd immunity, but say they can't determine that right now. The data was collected before the Delta variant surfaced. 
A small study shows Pfizer vaccine produces fewer antibodies in people over the age of 50. Researchers at the University of Virginia looked at antibody levels of 167 people who got two shots of either the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine. The doctors who conducted the study say it's not clear why Moderna's vaccine delivers a larger dose of antigen, the active product. They also say the doses cannot be directly compared. Both Pfizer and Moderna have asked the FDA to authorize booster doses of their vaccines. Studies show adding a third dose can restore antibody responses that may have waned over time. The COVID-19 pandemic has created a nurse staffing crisis. Now many U.S. hospitals are having to pay top dollar to get the help they need to handle the crush of patients this summer. The problem, health leaders say, is twofold. Nurses are quitting or retiring, exhausted or demoralized by the crisis, with many leaving for lucrative temporary jobs with traveling nurse agencies that can actually pay $5,000 or more a week. There's growing fallout from the Texas law banning most abortions overnight. Planned Parenthood asked a Texas court to temporarily block the law from taking effect. Genesis Vieira has the latest details. Democrats and abortion activists are scrambling, desperate to find a way to challenge the most restrictive abortion law in the nation. Very harsh. Um, I think it feels inhumane. I think we're tired. Dr. Bhavik Kumar works at this Planned Parenthood center in Houston. He says normally he performs between 20 to 30 abortions a day. But since the new law, he's only seen six patients and has had to turn half of them away. She was surprised. Um, she was distraught. And we began to explore options and think through the logistics of if she would be able to go out of state for the care that she needed. The new law bans abortion after the sixth week of pregnancy, before some women even know they're pregnant, and deputizes private citizens to sue anyone who aids and abets an unlawful abortion. The Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch effort to block the law, President Biden promising to protect abortion rights, but the White House offering few details. Why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. Genesis Vieira for U News. Two Trump Organization executives went to court in Manhattan on Thursday to give grand jury testimony in a criminal probe into former President Trump's business dealings. Matthew Calamari Jr. was subpoenaed to testify in the case. He is the Trump Organization's corporate director of security and son of the company's chief operating officer, a longtime Trump deputy who is also under scrutiny. In July, the district attorney's office charged the Trump Organization and chief financial officer Alan Weiselberg with a 15-year alleged tax scheme. They're accused of avoiding payroll and income taxes on fringe benefits, including rent-free apartments, cars, and private school tuition. They have pleaded not guilty. Representative Adam Kinzinger and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene are getting into it on Twitter. This happening as several House GOP members are calling for Kinzinger and Cheney to resign from the Republican conference for their roles on the January 6th select committee. Kinzinger replying to Greene with some tough words on Twitter, writing, Evidently, in your mind, the conference is more comfortable with maybe bloodshed and Jewish space lasers. 
The man known as the QAnon Shaman pleaded guilty today to one count of obstruction of an official proceeding. Images of Jacob Chansley storming the U.S. Capitol in a horned bearskin outfit went viral after the riot on January 6. He was charged with six federal crimes, including felonies for civil disorder and obstructing congressional proceedings. Under federal sentencing guidelines, he is likely to face between 41 and 50 months, minus time served for the eight months he has already been detained. He also agreed to pay restitution of $2,000. The fear of a significant undercount of Latinos in the latest census persists as the new figures fell way below recent estimates and surveys. The Latino undercount was more pronounced in states like New Mexico and Arizona, according to a recent analysis by the Associated Press. In some states, the Latino population in the census was lower than those in estimates by anywhere from 4 to 7 percentage points. Joining me now is Astrid Galvan. She's a national writer on race and ethnicity for the Associated Press and the reporter on this story detailing those findings. Thanks so much for being with us today, Astrid. Thank you for having me. So you found a town in Arizona where this issue is most pronounced, the town of Summerton. Talk to us about what exactly you found there. Um, I found a lot of people in just complete disbelief over what the census found, which was that the town, the city of Summerton lost 90 residents between 2010 and 2020, um, when in fact the city leaders say that they have grown so much that they need new housing and uh, are in the middle of building a new elementary school and just got funding to build a new high school. Now, we do have a map from your story showing states where this undercount is more pronounced. Now, states in darker blue, like New Mexico and Ohio, actually show how widespread this is, undercount is of Latinos. How widespread is it? Can you go into those details? Yeah, I mean, so I should stipulate that the Census Bureau says that it's too early to really speculate on whether there was an undercount. Um, the numbers that we're comparing are the census's own estimates of populations that they put out before the count compared to what the count actually was. Um, and the census says that its estimates, um, that its count is usually more accurate than its estimates. So there's that uh, caveat. Um, but... It, anecdotally, we're seeing it from places, including Summerton, but elsewhere, um, who say, you know, we've seen this growth in housing and new utility uh, hookups, um, in uh, schools being over capacity, and somehow our counts are so much lower than expected um, in the 2020 census. Now, what are some of the reasons that could have led to this undercount of Latinos and Black communities? Um, so a lot of things um, that could have gone wrong got, uh, went wrong. First, the pandemic um, made it really difficult for the census enumerators to get people to open their doors. It made people scared to answer um, the census. Um, there were natural disasters that also made it difficult. And one of the big ones that a lot of the you know advocates for Latino communities say is the Trump administration's attempt to ask about people's citizenship in the census, um, which the Supreme Court overruled anyway. But it left a lot of confusion um, and fear among people that, you know, they didn't know if this was going to be asked or if it was asked what the ramifications might be. Um, and so it was just kind of a perfect storm of things that that made the census so difficult um, this year. 
So now what is the reaction from census officials to these numbers that we are now learning? Well, they stand by their numbers. Um, they say it's too early to really speculate on an undercount. Um, but of course, they say that, you know, municipalities, tribes, um, any local government has the ability to appeal those findings, which is kind of a long process that um, hasn't started yet. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Astrid Galvan, reporter at the Associated Press. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. During the first months of this year, the Biden administration lost contact with thousands of minors who were released soon after they were detained. More than 33% of follow-up calls to check on the welfare of the children were simply unsuccessful. Kelia Tejada has the latest. Axio says that according to official figures, between January and May of this year, the government called 14,600 people to whom they handed over unaccompanied children and were unable to contact 4,890. This undocumented Honduran immigrant, whom we will call Maria, could be one of them. Her 16-year-old son was turned over to her two months ago. The government has not yet contacted her, and she says she is not sure if she will get back to them. I would like to follow up on this case, but at the same time, I am very afraid because of my problem that I can't present myself to the immigration authorities because I am under deportation order since 2019. Catalina Avila's undocumented Mexican immigrant received last May, after 49 days, her two little girls who crossed the border unaccompanied. Nobody, nobody has called me for anything. Nora San Diego is the legal guardian of almost 2,000 unaccompanied minors and says that many of the sponsors of these minors who cross alone are undocumented, and that is why they do not want to be contacted. The problem could be that they don't want to come forward or they don't answer because they are in a difficult situation with the immigration issue and they don't want to face the immigration officials. This immigration's attorney says that if the child's legal guardian does not answer the government's calls, it can hurt the child's case and put him or her in danger of deportation, as well as the child's guardian. If we assume that the sponsor is an undocumented person and the child has an immigration removal proceeding and that the sponsor never brings the child before the judge, the most likely scenario is that the child will have a judge decision in absentia. Reported by Vilma Tarazona, this is Kelia Tejada for You News. Meanwhile, heavy rains and flooding in Arizona are causing major problems on some stretches along the U.S.-Mexico border wall built by former President Trump. Randall Summers has this report. The border wall is a symbol of security and strength for many. 
So much so that former President Donald Trump promised to seal the U.S.-Mexico border with a steel wall that would be literally impenetrable. But the news doesn't seem to have reached this southern Arizona creek, because in its first big flow this summer, the water took a chunk out regardless of its strength and multi-million dollar price tag. Not only is it a waste of public funds, it's damage to public lands with public funds. Environmentalists like Sergio Avila of Tucson, Arizona, say the wall is coming down sooner than they thought, because it was done for political reasons and without planning. To build these walls, no engineering studies or climate experts were required. I think we're seeing how these natural forces are destroying a political symbol. On this stretch of the huge and beautiful wall, as Trump described it, the current ripped off nine 30-foot-high steel gates. For activist Fernando Garcia, this is Mother Nature's mockery and proves that walls don't work. I think it represents the irony of a failed project, a project that is not going to be able to stop the migratory flow. The federal government said that this part of the wall wasn't finished yet when President Biden stopped its construction, and they are assessing the damage in order to repair it. Reported in Arizona by Pedro Utreras, this is Randall Summers for U News. In Mexico, immigration authorities continue to forcefully block the caravan of migrants trying to reach the U.S.-Mexico border. Agents continue to allegedly beat and ignore complaints of these migrants. Ingrid Rojas has images of the chaotic operation. Once again, migrants traveling through Chiapas in the south of Mexico were detained with extreme violence near the community of Escuintla. He's not a real policeman. I got hit. They hit me. Nobody hit you. Calm down. And why do they hit me? Haitians and Central Americans defended themselves with sticks and stones and ran into the fields. But immigration agents chased them, protected by National Guard shields. Brothers, let us pass. We are not doing anything to them. They are to blame for the fact that many children are dying in these places. Our cameraman was bitten for filming, while other photographers helped some of the wounded. These images, which have been replayed since the weekend, contradict what President Andrés Manuel López Obrador said in his third government report. The human rights of migrants have not been violated. The exceptional case a few days ago in which two migration officials kicked a Haitian citizen was taken care of the same day. López Obrador confirmed that the two agents have already been discharged for the violence. The president, however, also confirmed that arrests will continue. The purpose is to keep migrants as far as possible in the southeast of the country, because allowing them to enter the territory completely to cross our country means many risks. López Obrador also promised that he will ask President Biden for additional work visas. Reported in Mexico City by Jessica Cermeño, this is Ingrid Rojas for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.